0: So some of you may be thinking you've never thought about uh, complaining about the missing part of the uh, the middle part of a donut, and so I hope you don't feel tempted now to complain about that, because um, <laughs> it's like wait, you mean yeah, it's missing? I could complain about that. So um, so we're, we're uh, it, just a thing to kind of put today in context. Um, if you grew up in a Lutheran, Catholic, Episcopal. Background, then you know that uh, today is all saints' day, um, and you may be thinking, well, what does that have to do with anything it's the day after halloween and um, uh, or you may think it's a kind of the thing that we in our tradition we, you know yesterday we call it Reformation Day, although that 's kind of a made up thing really. Uh, The early church uh, declared All Saints Day on November 1st for an important reason. Early in the life of the church, um, to celebrate the testimony and the life of martyrs, days were set aside as those days where they remembered the testimony of someone who had died uh, for the gospel of Jesus Christ. After a while... It got to be so many, they ran out of days. And so they just have one day in which now uh, we remember that. Now, I tell you that because we're about to read about a man who is in prison who will eventually be martyred. Uh, but I also tell you that in um, to put in context the experience that we have right now, today, in our country um, in uh, preparation for an election. Um, and what I hope we, we can do today is kind of think a little more deeply and a little more clearly about uh, what joy really is, how it uh, uh, is um, a non-negotiable for the church of Jesus Christ, uh, even in the face of uh, really difficult, challenging circumstances. So, so in light of that, uh, let me um, pray, and then I'll read to you uh, Philippians uh, 1, 15 through 18. First, let's pray. Lord, we come to you today uh, thanking you for uh, the fact that we've been reminded about how good you are uh, Frankly, uh, we uh, many of us would acknowledge that you're good and it just doesn't matter that much uh, because we would trade your goodness maybe for some comfort or some victory or something that might come our way. And yet, Lord, what we recognize is that uh, our life is bound up in the fact that you're good, uh, that you're kind, but most of all, Uh, that you have saved us through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that is the center point of our joy. And so will you remind us of that today as we look at the testimony of your servant Paul. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So uh, Philippians 1, 15 through 18, the text is in the bulletin, also up on the screens behind me. Uh, This is God's word, and we should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not not, not sincerely but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. Uh, so this is a pretty challenging passage. In fact, in many ways, this may be one of the most challenging passages in the whole book of uh, Philippians. Because remember what we what we have here is Paul being imprisoned, and he is imprisoned in a house, probably in Rome, twenty four hours a day, seven days a week. He is chained to a Roman soldier. That's his life, right? Uh, and his future is certainly unser- is, uh, uncertain, he doesn't know what may happen to him, he is likely to face a, uh, uh, a martyr's death. And yet here he is, in the midst of this, he can say that he rejoices uh, in the fact that the gospel is going forth. We, as we looked at last week, he was rejoicing in the fact that his imprisonment had resulted in the gospel penetrating even uh, the, the, the household of Caesar. Right now, the the thing that's profound about this and the thing that is uh, is so interesting to me about this is not only is he have a joy in that, which I think I can kind of understand. He even takes joy in the people who hate him. Proclaiming the gospel. Now, let me be clear about this. You know, Paul writes a whole letter in, uh, to the churches in Galatia uh, telling them not to believe the false gospel that's being preached there and to correct what's, what's, what's being proclaimed. In this case, he doesn't say that these people are, are proclaiming a false gospel. No, the gospel's going forth. But these people are doing it out of selfish ambition. They're doing it to put Paul in a bad light. And, and you may think, well, that doesn't, that doesn't sound like much. We don't have a lot of time this morning. But if you want to go back and read an early account of this, there's a man named Clement who lived shortly after uh, Paul's death. And he wrote the history of the early church in Rome. And, and as best we can put together, this is not infallible, Uh, that there were Christians in Rome, and that when Paul came there and began his ministry there in prison, it made some people mad, and so they caused trouble, and some Christians, can you believe that? (laughs) Made some Christians mad, made them jealous, and so they caused trouble, and that is one of the reasons why Paul ends up, in the end, being martyred. Now, we could spend the whole morning this morning talking about indwelling sin in Christians <laughs> uh, because that's certainly a, uh, a, an evidence for that. But what I'd rather spend our time on this morning is thinking about the fact, the perspective that Paul has that allows him to have joy. Now, we tend to think, you know, before I go much further, let me just say that I know for many of you, you, you know, being joyless is a, uh, is a part of your righteousness, because you believe that you, are, you and you only see the world as it really is, and you and you only feel the negative effects of it, and so you have a right to your joylessness. In fact, maybe God even approves of your joylessness because things are so difficult and you see them that way. But what we have here in the Apostle Paul is someone who is so captivated by the gospel, so captivated by the fact that his sins have been forgiven, so captivated by the fact that Jesus loves him, That that message is so profound to him that he wants it to go out and he doesn't care even if people who don't like him get the facts of the gospel right, if they're proclaiming it, then he has joy, right? That is a profound perspective, right? So if, if you have Paul's perspective in this passage, regardless of the outcome, say, of this week's election, which I know for many of you feels like life and death, you can have joy, but I'm here to tell you this morning you will not have joy if you view yourself primarily as a Republican or a Democrat. Paul views himself as a follower of Jesus Christ. Paul views himself as a child of God. Paul views himself as a Roman citizen first and foremost as a citizen of the kingdom of God. And that can't change. Nothing nothing can can, can eliminate that. And so as a result of that, his joy is not rooted in the the things that happen to him. Now, you know we you need to vote this week, and you need to think about how you're going to vote, and you need to vote in a way that that is good with your conscience and and good before the Lord and that sort of thing. But I'm here to tell you today, on Wednesday or Thursday or Friday or December 27th, whenever this thing is over. Your joy is found somewhere else. You and I are first and foremost followers of Jesus Christ. And you and I will still be brothers and sisters even if we vote differently, right? Paul recognizes that, and one of the things that he recognizes about the situation that he finds himself in, the unjust situation that he finds himself in, is, is this, and he'll, he writes this in, in Romans chapter 13. No ruler holds office except by God's appointment, right? Let, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. We tend to read that, and one of the things that we tend to do about that is focus our attention upon you're supposed to submit. Well, okay, that's true, but really, the text here and what Paul is writing about in Romans 13 is listen, rulers, you're only there because God put you there. And you may think you're only accountable to yourself, but God holds you accountable and you will answer for how you function in government. And so what we recognize is is that the the authorities, the, the authority that has Paul in jail, is a subservient authority and it is accountable. The the fact of the matter is what we what we put our hope and our trust in today is not that I get my way or that my side wins, but that in the end I belong to Jesus Christ. My primary identity is follower of Christ. My primary identity is not to a political party or a political philosophy. Now maybe the gospel impacts some of that it should, it does, but the reality is I am a follower of Christ, first and foremost, and that is more true of me than any other descriptor. And it is the ultimate thing that my eternity and that my identity hangs on. And so whenever we think about these things about government, as Paul writes here, he can have joy even as the government is against him, even as his own fellow Christians are against him, because he knows who he belongs to. And he, he knows that God holds all of those things together and that he will hold those people uh, uh, to account. This is serious business, isn't it? It's hard. It makes, it's going to make some of you mad today uh, because you can't stand the thought that the other guy is going to win. Well, here's the thing. The other guy or the guy is accountable to God. And God's accountability is much truer, clearer, better than the weak accountability that we have. In our family, we have a joke um, uh, that, uh, you know, Jesus loves everybody, but we're his favorites. (laughs) It's a joke, okay? You can laugh at that. Uh, We're his favorites. And the way that uh, manifests itself is if, if you shortchange us, if you do us wrong, you're going to pay for it. God just loves us so much that, you know, when you do wrong by us, he's going to make sure that you feel it. We, we laugh about this. Um, we, have a, we have a funny thing. We have a, a, a flag that we fly outside of our house some days. It has an S on it. And the big question is, what does the S stand for? Well, the S stands for don't mess with the Shelbys. You know, short people have these things kind of going on. Little people, you know, we like we like to think of ourselves as we're bigger, we're terriers, right? We, we think we're the biggest dog on the block, but we're actually the smallest. Well, it just, it, it was, this came to fruition in our family recently because where my daughter works, we were, uh, uh, Marty and I went there a few weeks ago, and while we were there, we ordered some food and it didn't come and it didn't come and it didn't come. And uh, I heard the owner say to somebody in the kitchen, that's Maddie's mom and dad, and they're members of the club, and they've been waiting 20 minutes, and you haven't gotten Mr. Shelby his cheeseburger yet. You don't ever want to be the guy who hasn't gotten Mr. Shelby his cheeseburger yet. (laughs) Right? Well, he delayed even further. Because Mr. Shelby's cheeseburger apparently didn't matter to him. Little did he know, it must have mattered to the Lord because he doesn't work there anymore. Right? Now I use that as a stupid joke to help you get a, a handle on this. Listen, listen. When we are confronted with unrighteousness, we should we should speak out against it and we should address it. But in the end, we know that God addresses it. That God holds those in authority to account. And we can entrust ourselves and those in authority as we submit. The reason why we can submit to authority is because we know that that authority is ultimately held accountable by the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus is Lord, not Caesar, not the president not the governor, not the Supreme Court. Next slide. So our, our hope must not be in who holds office, right? The scripture tells us, and Paul has his hope in Christ, right? It's not in anything else. Put, put not your trust in princes and a son of man in whom there is no salvation. There is no salvation in any political party in the United States. There's no salvation in any political platform in the United States. There's salvation only in one name, and that name is Jesus Christ. And that is the hope of the church. And that is the hope of the world. Regardless of what happens on Tuesday, regardless what happens on Wednesday, Thursday, or Friday, that's still true. That's still true. The kings of... The, The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. And that anointed there, let me be clear, that's Jesus. That's not anybody who's on the ballot Tuesday. Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derisions. Listen, nations rise and fall. I love this country. I love it a lot. Uh, And I love so much about it. But if it goes away tomorrow, the church of Jesus Christ remains. My ultimate citizenship is in the kingdom of God. I belong in a kingdom. That is my that that's my first and foremost identity. And I, I I I do the best I can before God and before others to say this is what looks to me like the righteous way to go. But the fact of the matter is I entrust that into his hands. And in the end, the, the source of my joy is not in how America does. The source of my joy is the power of the gospel going forth to change people's lives, to change the world. To give God glory, right? So nations rise and fall, but Pilate, you know, I was thinking about this this week, without really understanding, speaks the truth. When he took Jesus and held him out in front of the crowd, he said, Behold your king. The title on the cross proclaims the one whom God himself elected. Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews. Next slide. So here's the thing. On Tuesday, the Bible's not on the ballot. The ongoing mission of the church is set, regardless of what happens in the uh, in the election on Tuesday, regardless of what happened to Paul, whether Paul was martyred or not. The Great Commission was true the day he lived, the the, the last day he lived, and the first day he was dead. That's the point. The mission of the church goes forward, regardless of what happens in the kingdom of man or around us, right? And so what, what he recognizes is is that whether Donald Trump or or Donald Trump or Joe Biden wins this week, nothing changes for the mission of the church. Not only that, guess what? It doesn't change judgment day. It's already fixed. Right? Every knee's gonna bow, every tongue's gonna declare that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. Paul recognizes that he's living that. He is entrusting himself to that. That is the ultimate source of his joy. And that's what energizes him to be about proclaiming the gospel and even taking joy in the fact that his enemies are proclaiming the gospel. Because he knows that the power of God for salvation is the message of Jesus Christ crucified, risen from the dead. And so what what we recognize is, is that regardless of whether it's a Republican, a Democrat, a socialist or whatever, the fact of the matter is the church of Jesus Christ has the same mission. Go make disciples of the nations, teaching them all that I have commanded you, because he's with us. He's for us. And that is the heart of his concern is that the mission of the church goes forward. Paul is bearing witness to that to us, that regardless of the unrighteousness around him and, and regardless even of the unrighteousness of the state and the unrighteousness of the church. The point is that the gospel goes forward because that's what Jesus has told us to do. That's what he's empowered us to do. That's that's where he gets the most glory. Right. So how do I get this perspective? Well, when we look at Paul in jail and and, and suffering, we think, you know what? That joy is fake. Or that joy is, you know, where, where, does, where does lament f- fall into this? Paul had plenty of things to lament. He had terrible health. He had relational difficulties. He was beaten. He was shipwrecked. All these terrible things happened to him. And yet, because his identity and the thing that mattered the most to him was the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, he could say in good conscience to us, to the church at Philippi, that he had joy and that he would continue to rejoice because that was true. Right. His life is, is, is even under threat in part because of the preaching of bad Christians or at least people who know and can articulate the facts of the gospel. But he is willing to say, I am losing, but the gospel is gaining. That is that 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 is a compelling vision of the thing that uh I think drove the early church is that the gospel was so compelling to people that they certainly would die for it, but you know more than that they would live for it. I came across uh this this week, and I thought this uh kind of reflected pretty well uh, what Paul's getting at here. So what are the deepest ambitions and aspirations of your heart? Uh, What do you long for most? What are your deepest aspirations? What are are your real ambitions? What does your heart most ache for? I would venture to say I know most of you, and I know uh, many of you very well, And I know the aches of your heart are often for things that are very good, wonderful things, good things. Um, But I also know that sometimes our joy is robbed from us because we make those good things the ultimate thing. I love this quote because he says, if you tether your ambitions to your own comforts, because Paul is tethered. Paul is tethered by a chain 24 hours a day, seven days a week, to a Roman soldier. When he, as I said Sunday, when he goes to the bathroom, when he bathes, when he eats, he's never alone, he's always chained. But that chain is nothing compared to the chain that he has tethered to another. He is tethered with a chain of love and grace and power forged in the blood of Jesus Christ, to Jesus Christ. And that chain can never be broken. And that chain is the secret of his freedom. And that tethering to Jesus Christ is the secret of his joy. And that tethering to Jesus Christ is what enables and energizes him in the midst of suffering to proclaim the gospel, to know that this gospel, this rich, that he has from Jesus Christ is his hope and the hope of the world. So if you tether your ambitions to your own comforts, and that's mine, man, I have realized one of the things, uh, Emily brought this up, you know, the last seven months it's been so hard. You know the hardest thing for me is I can't do what I want to do when I want to do it. Um I was in conflict with a guy recently, and uh, he wanted to do something, and I wouldn't let him do it. And uh, he said, "You, you know, I, I don't take no for an answer." And I said, "Well, I'm sorry that you had such a poor upbringing, because, <laughs> because that's what your mama's supposed to do is tell you no, <laughs> right? <laughs> and you're, you're supposed to hear that and 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 obey that." Well, uh, the 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 fact is the. Uh, uh uh the truth of the matter is i uh tether my deepest hopes my deepest aspirations to these things that in the end just a little disruption wrecks my day wrecks my life even even challenges me to doubt the love of god for me right So if you tether your deepest hopes and aspirations to this world, they will always be vulnerable to the shattering effect of trial and suffering and disappointment. Disappointment. If all your hopes and aspirations are this worldly and material, like who wins the election, they will always be vulnerable to the shattering effects of trial and suffering, and you will be robbed of joy over and over again. And, you know, this is one of the things that I experience is, you know, I read this and I think about this. What typically happens to me is I set my hope on something. I tether my hope on it. I tether my identity to it. And then when it disappoints me, I think, whoo you know, I learned that lesson. I won't do that again until I find the next shiny thing that looks like, oh, that is going to fulfill me. That is going to bring me everything I want. So I tether to that until it shatters. The grace of God, the mercy of God is that he knows that about us and he continues to pursue us and he continues to remind us of his grace and his power and the fact that in Christ we are tied to him with a chain that cannot be broken. Paul has fixed his joy to the honor of the name of Christ so that no matter his circumstances, God is at work at them all. He knows that so that the name of Jesus might always be made much of. He has therefore an unshakable foundation for joy. Next slide, please, Clara. So, wed your hopes and your joys, not your circumstances. But to the advancement of the cause and glory and fame of Jesus Christ. God has promised us that his glory would cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. Do you believe that? He has promised that every tribe and language and people group will be gathered around the throne one day and they will sing, they're not going to sing happy days are here again, right? They're going to sing worthy is the lamb. He has promised that every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That is certain. And when you have harnessed and hitched your hopes for joy to these promises, your joy can never be undermined. Your joy will always prosper despite your trials and in all your circumstances. May the Lord help us to make the deepest ambitions and longings of our hearts the honor of the name of Christ. I left that last sentence up there because I want you to feel burdened by that. Because um, you can't make by an act of the will, your deepest ambition and longing, the honor of the name of Christ. God has to do that in you. He has to enable you to do that. He has to make the gospel so compelling, the cross so beautiful, the resurrection so powerful, the ascension so reassuring, and the second coming so grounding that your joy is unshakable. So we need him to do that because our joy is rattling around like we're in a 10.0 earthquake. And that is not right. You can lament, but in the end, our hearts settle on the fact that Jesus is Lord. And that's the hope of the world, regardless of if I get cancer, regardless if I suffer, regardless. Because you see, I think what we have bought, and many of us in this country in particular, North Americans, one of the things that we believe is that we believe this gospel. And what this gospel means is is that we've made a bargain with Jesus That we we will live a certain kind of life, that we will believe a certain set of beliefs, and he is on the hook to make us comfortable for our 60, 70, or 80 years. After all, that's why he lived, died, and rose again, was to make you as comfortable as possible while you're breathing here on this planet. But Jesus loves us so much that he's having none of that, that his work is grander and bigger and eternal. That's our hope. And the degree to which that is our hope, joy unspeakable, full of glory, will be ours even in the midst of defeat, disappointment, even degradation. Because being chained to a Roman soldier, or worse, cannot change the fact that in Christ I am chained to love, to grace, to power, to eternal life. Let's pray. Lord, we need a sense of this today. I I confess, I'm just angry and bitter, scared, um, frustrated, uh, and really, really tired. And so I pray for clarity... Uh, about what's true, about who you are, about who I am, and uh, who I'm tied to, who I'm chained to today. Lord, I pray for the folks today who uh, have lost sight of the gospel, lost say the joy of the gospel because of the, a political prospect. Lord, we pray for righteousness to reign. We pray for your kingdom to come. Train us to do that even in the face of uh, a fractious and difficult political, social, cultural, and racial situation. Lord, it is so confusing, honestly, because this is so difficult, and yet the gospel's clear, the cross shines, the tomb is still empty, and the throne is occupied. I pray that those things would uh, shape us, encourage us, energize us. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.